All right, we're going to talk about, uh, we're in week three of our series on fear. And uh, I was thinking the other day, several years ago, my uh, assistant, Judy Marshall, who loves it when I call out her name, um, actually hates it. She gave me a coffee mug. I think it was for either my birthday or Christmas. And, And on the mug, there's an inscription that says something like this. What would you attempt to do if you knew that you could not fail? What would you attempt to do if you knew that you could not fail. Now, I want to tell you, that coffee mug sits on my desk at home and it stares at me every time I sit in my office chair as a reminder to me that God is bigger than my fears. And here's the deal. Every one of us in this room struggle with some kind of fear. Matter of fact, we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago that there are 530 known identified fears or phobias and most of them have crazy names that we can't pronounce, but all of us in this room struggle with some type of fear. But I would say that, the, that, that one of the most powerful fears that many of us struggle with is the fear of failure. Now you'll notice that I use the word us in, uh, in what I just said because I struggle with the fear of failure. Uh, it's something that I have to pray over nearly every single morning. Now some of you may think, well, you know what, I, it's hard for me to believe that, Brian. I mean, you, 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 you seem to be quite by nature a risk taker, and, and I am, um, and I've done some pretty risky things in my life. I moved my family here 18 and a half years ago to plant a church with just a handful of people. I've started a couple nonprofits, lost, launched a church planning network, co-authored a book with my wife. Uh, that was moving through one of my biggest fears. Um, jumped out of a perfectly good airplane one time few years ago. That was crazy and foolish. But what you don't know is, is how hard I've had to work through to overcome some of those big fear moments, that, that fear of failure. Um, and, and it's a constant battle. It, it's something that I pray about all the time. And as I was thinking about uh, this the other day, here's one of the greatest lessons that I've learned along the way. I have grown, I have grown more as a person through my failures than I have my successes. Matter of fact, God has used my failures as a very dynamic teacher throughout my life. I I have learned humility through failure. I have learned to be a uh, to have tougher skin through through failure. I've learned to rely on God's character and His strength through failure. I've learned that God is more than faithful through failure, and I've learned the hard truth that God allows failure to happen in our lives at times to shape us and to grow us spiritually. But with all that said, nobody likes to fail. Nobody signs up for something and says, man, I'm signing up for this so that I can fail. I can't wait for that moment. We don't, we don't do that. If all of us were to be really honest this morning, I'm sure that there are, there are some unrealized dreams that are represented in this room this morning because of the fear, fear of failure. There are some accomplished goals because of the fear of failure. There are, there are some ministries that have not been started or, or some of you have not jumped into an existing ministry because you're afraid that you're going to fail. There are some businesses that have not been started because of the fear of failure. There, there may be even few unwritten books in this room because you fear the, the idea that you're going to get rejected by a publisher. There are so many great things to be attempted, but the fear of failure cripples people and it keeps them from venturing forward. So what's the answer to that? Because no one wants to end their life with a bunch of regrets on their plate over unrealized dreams or or unaccomplished goals. 
So, so does God actually have a solution? Does he have, a, does he have an idea, a solution to help us to unlearn the fear of failure? Well, he does, and I have good news. Not only are we going to uncover the root of the fear of failure this morning, and we're going to talk about its effects, but we're going to really discover that God has given us some wonderful truths from the Bible that if we will live by these things and apply them to our lives, they're going to help us to unlearn this fear. And I believe once we do, some of you are going to discover the power that you have in your faith in God. You're going to dare boldly and you're going to accomplish some great things for God's glory. So before we get into some of those steps, first of all, I want to gain a little bit more understanding about this fear of failure. Because what is it? What is the fear of failure? Well, let's define it. And here's what I want to do. I want to challenge the term fear of failure. Because oftentimes, fear fear of failure is really not an accurate way to describe what's actually taking place and happening inside of us. I believe there's actually something deeper going on. I believe that fear of failure is really rooted in the fear of man. Fear of failure is actually rooted in the fear of man. What we actually fear is looking foolish in front of someone else. Or we fear rejection, or we fear persecution, or, or, or being ridiculed. Oftentimes, we allow the opinions of others to become so important to us that we actually let them rule our hearts and our actions. And, and as we learn from week one of this study, the, the fear of failure of man is, is, is not a fear that we're actually born with. We're only, we're only really born with two fears. One is the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. And unless we're attempting to do something foolish or unwise or something that goes against God's principles, we would not put the fear of failing or the fear of man in the healthy fear category. In other words, it's a fear that does not come from God. Somewhere along the line, this fear was either taught or it was caught. And so with that said, let me, let me see if I can explain the difference to you for just a moment. Um, back in 2001, we were venturing uh, into a church planning endeavor as a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We were partnering um, with the denomination to plant a church uh, along with the 2002 uh, uh, Winter Olympics that were taking place in Salt Lake. And so um, one of our staff members at the time, Dave Cole, and a friend of mine, Mike Marblestone, uh, we went out to Utah with several other people to kind of get this church planting thing off the ground. And so while we were out there, we thought, well, we'll just take a day and, and, and we're going to go skiing. So we went to this ski resort that I had never been to called uh, Snow Basin. And when we got there, I realized that the uh, Winter Olympics um, were going to, some of it was going to be at Snow Basin. And they actually had built the men and women's downhill the Super G, which is this like gigantic slalom course, and a couple other things that were going to be at Snow Basin. So we took the lifts all the way up to the very, very top of Snow Basin because we wanted to see what the, the, the men's and women's downhill actually looked like. So we got up there, and I'll show you a picture of me standing in 2001 at the top of this mountain, and, and you can see over there now to my left, uh, to our left actually, is this little sign that uh, someone has ripped off, but it basically says, this is an off-limits area. Like, you're not supposed to ski down this place, okay, because you, you might die kind of thing. Well, Mike and Dave and I are standing up there, and we all start daring each other to go down this area. Uh, 2,900-foot vertical drop uh, that goes on for two miles, and if you actually survive it, you get up to speeds of about 80 miles an hour. 
I'm not that good of a skier. But here we are, three men, alpha males, having this little banter about skiing down this course. And I said, all right, here's the deal. I'll do it if you guys will do it. And uh, they're like, okay, we'll do it. And so I said, I'll go first. I did not go out of the little house that you see on TV because it was not quite built yet. I went down that. And about, I would say, 20, 30 yards, I became very fearful of how fast I was moving, decided I would try to cut a little bit, but you can't cut when you're going that fast, especially when it feels like ice. And I tumbled and began to spin down this mountain like a helicopter uh, prop. Then I started going end over end over end, and all I could think of was, at any moment, something's going to snap, break, tear, whatever. And fortunately, once I stopped sliding, nothing was broken, I was sore, I was in pain, but there was no major damage. Well, I looked up to the top of the mountain, and I'm waiting for Dave and Mike to come down. And that didn't happen. Matter of fact, as I looked over to my left, I saw them coming down towards me on the bunny hill. And that's what we're going to call it this morning, all right? That right there, okay, that's foolish. That's unwise. That, that was, that, that's a fear of failure that is actually what we would call, we would put it in the healthy fear of failure category. On the other hand, and I know a lot of our students sit over here, some of them are over here. Students, I want to say this to you. If you're driven to give in to sinful peer, peer pressure because you're afraid of ridicule or fear, that's not from God. Or you're afraid of persecution from some friends or from other people for not standing up for the Bible or standing up for God, that fear is not from God. It's actually fear that's rooted in the fear of man. Adults, if you're, if you're driven to go out and to go, lo- to go d- dig down deep, large amounts of debt out of fear to try to keep up with appearances with other people around you, that is not a fear from God that is actually rooted in the fear of man. If you refuse to, to make tough, unpopular decisions for your kids' sake because you're afraid that either they're going to dislike you or their friends are going to think that you're not a cool parent, that fear is not from God. It's actually rooted in the fear of man, and I could keep going on and on on. But Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And that's a powerful word. The fear of man actually lays a snare. It lays a trap, a trap that can cause us not only to miss out on realizing our God-given potential, but can also cause us great harm and danger. But Proverbs says when our trust is in the Lord, we're actually safe. He becomes a refuge for us. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about how he handled the fear of man. Because obviously at some point in his life, a struggle for him. He wrote this to the the church of Galatia in the book of Galatians. He says in chapter 1 verse 10, For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, we are all called to be servants of Christ, but you can't serve Christ and fear man at the same time. It's like oil and water. It's just never going to mix. If we will not venture out and boldly serve Jesus with our gifts and our talents or, or attempt something for his glory because of what other people think, then we're really bowing down to our fears. We're bowing down, down to our fear of man. Now, I know for some of you, this is a huge issue. Because for some of you, I'm, I'm exposing a huge wound in your life right now. At this moment, it may be that, that God is shining a light into a major problem in your life or, or a sin that you've been dealing with for way too many years of your life. 
So let's talk about just for a moment how this impacts us. How does the fear of failure actually impact us? Well, first of all, it causes us to be paralyzed. That's where, and that's where some of you are today. That The fear of failure, the fear of the future, the fear of the unknown, the fear of man actually has you paralyzed. You are frozen in your tracks because of fear. It also causes us to be me-focused. When I'm praying for, for God to give me strength to overcome my fears, especially this one, it always involves at some point repentance because when I'm focused on what men think, I take my eyes off of God and oftentimes I put them on me and I begin to fall into sin. The sin of being me focused. The third thing it does is it causes us to have a skewed view of reality. Fear of failure limits us to what we can see instead of what God can see. In Matthew chapter 19, there's a story of a, of a rich young man who comes to Jesus and he asks him, he says, how can I receive eternal life? And Jesus begins to lay out the cost of being a disciple. And as he's laying this out, his own followers are so overwhelmed with the cost that Jesus is laying out that they, that they ask Jesus, well, then who in the world could ever actually be saved? And in Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, he says this to him. He says, with, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Fear of failure makes us look at God. It makes us look at even his commands, living the Christian life and walking in faith as basically impossible, and it is. But there's more to the story. In our own strength, it actually is impossible. But Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. It's possible to do all of these things that God has called us to do, but only in his strength. And then fear of failure causes us to lose hope. Fear of failure, the fear of man, can not only cause us to feel paralyzed, but it causes us to feel like that there is no hope for the future. It can actually cause us to sink into this black hole of despair. And then it causes us to miss out on fulfilling God's promises for our lives. I mean, I'm deeply saddened to think that in this world, and even right now in this room, that there are people who have the power of Christ in their life, and yet they're missing out on using their spiritual gifts or, or they're missing out on using their talents or even the, the perp, their purpose in life because they have been caught by the snare or the trap of the fear of failure. Well, listen, the only way that we're actually gonna conquer this fear is, actually, is, is to get honest with it, to confess it, and then to pull it up by the roots. Because if you wanna push through the fear of failure, then here's what you have to do. You have to attack, you have to pull up the root of the fear of man. And in order to do that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn in in the Bible into the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And in the book of Acts, chapter 3 and 4, we run into this amazing story about two apostles and some believers that really, really tackled this whole issue of the fear of failure, the fear of man. Now, how can we uproot this? Well, As you look in the Bible and you look in the Old Testament, you see Moses, you see Gideon, you see so many other people who who were just trapped by this fear of failure and had to overcome it to accomplish some great things for God. But this story we're going to look at this morning, I think stands out as maybe one of the most impactful. But before we dig into it, let me give a little context. In Acts chapter 2, if you know the story, the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, comes upon the early followers of, of Jesus, and the first church is birthed. The gospel is preached, small groups are formed, ministries are starting, people are starting to serve each other, and by the end of the very first day, 
it says that thousands of people come to know Christ. Well, in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John walking into the temple area. And as they're walking into the temple area to take part in a 3 o'clock prayer service, the Bible says they see this guy who has been crippled by birth, who has been brought into the temple area so he could beg for money. This guy sees Peter Peter and John, and he pleads with them for them to give him some money. And Peter says, listen, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have, I will give you. And he looks at him, and he says, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And this man, I mean, this, all of a sudden, this man gets up. The Bible says his feet and his ankles immediately become healed. And the Bible says he begins to walk and leap and dance, praising God. I mean, here's this guy. He's never walked a day in his life, and now he's moonwalking. He is leaping and dancing. He's praising God. This man's now creating a stir. Because everyone knows that this guy has never walked a day in his life and now he's leaping and dancing. And the people who are watching this, they're in absolute awe that it's happening. And so Peter uses this opportunity to begin to share the gospel with the crowds of people that have formed to watch this. And here's what he tells them. He says, you remember that guy by the name of Jesus who was just crucified? Well, we just healed this guy in that name, in his name. And it, and it was because of the power and the authority of Jesus that this guy can now walk. And then he continues. Jesus is the Messiah that we have been waiting for for centuries. But because of you and the arrogance of your leaders, you foolishly killed him. But don't worry. He rose from the dead, and we are witnesses to that truth. We have seen him with our own eyes. And even though, listen, even though you've completely messed up, you totally blew it by rejecting him the first time, we're here in the name of Jesus to offer you a second chance. And if you will repent of your sin and believe that Jesus is truly the Messiah, you can totally be forgiven of your sins. You can have a second chance. But if you don't, well... You're going to be cut off. You're going to be cut off and you will be destroyed. And then Peter finishes his preaching and the Bible says at the end of Acts 3, a few thousand people, more people come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, as this crowd is listening intently, also in the crowd, the Bible says were some Jewish priests and some Sadducees, which were a a very powerful religious group of, of leaders at the time. And as they're listening to all of this, they're not happy. They thought that they had made all of this Jesus stuff go away when they had him crucified. But now they're realizing this whole movement, this whole idea of Jesus is now more powerful than it's ever been. And so Peter and John are immediately arrested. They're thrown in jail and they're brought before the highest religious leaders of the land. They're brought before Annas, who was the high priest. They're brought before another guy named Caiaphas, who was a religious leader. And they're brought before the Sanhedrin, which was like the Jewish Supreme Court. Now, you've got to love this scene for a moment. You think about what's going on here. You've got two uneducated fishermen standing in front of the most powerful religious leaders in all of Jerusalem, and the priests ask Peter and John this question. By what power or by what name did you just do this? Did you just heal this man? And the Bible says, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, throws down the gospel on these guys, and he declares the straightforward message of salvation on this guys. And Peter tells them, listen, there is no other way to be saved except through Jesus. Now, verse 13 is so good, I've just got to read it to you. 
straightforward. It says, now when they saw the boldness, when these Jewish leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. And the Bible says they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had been in the presence of Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They couldn't even defend themselves because the guy who hasn't taken a step since birth is now dancing and leaping around them. And then you get into 14. I mean, here you you got the, the smartest religious minds of the day who have no clue what to do with Peter and John. They're baffled by these uneducated, ordinary guys who are talking with such power, such boldness, and, and they cannot deny the miracle. Everyone knows that this guy, everybody knows his story, and he's standing right next to them as all of this is taking place. And people are coming to Christ in the thousands. And so here's what they say to them. Peter and John, do not teach or do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus again. Don't, don't say another word about him. Don't preach. Don't speak. We don't want to hear any more about this guy named Jesus. Their tactic was real simple. If you can't ignore him, then intimidate him. Let's strike fear into these guys, into their hearts, so that they will never want to talk openly about Jesus again. They were willing to let these guys believe anything they wanted to, but they just couldn't act on what they believed. Believe what you want, just don't tell anyone else about it. And then in verse 19 it says, but Peter and John answered them, and I love this. It says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I love what Peter and John say to these guys. They say, listen, listen, it's not that we won't stop speaking about Jesus. It's that we, we can't stop. We can't stop. We can't help ourselves. One of my favorite pastors of all time is a guy, old African-American evangelist who passed away a few years ago from L.A. named Evie Hill. And I remember him preaching on this passage of Scripture when I was in college one time. And he said that Peter and John had the case of the can't hepits. I'll never forget that for as long as I live. He got down to this point where he was talking about Peter and John and what they said to, to the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the high priest. And he shouted out and he goes, it's not that, it's not that we, we, we won't, it's that we can't help it. I love that moment. Peter and John were so focused on what they had been called to do. They were so focused and so full of the Holy Spirit. Fear was not going to stop them. They couldn't stop talking about what they had seen or heard, even if they wanted to. Now, you, do you think that it's possible that Peter and John were scared as this was going on? I bet you they had some adrenaline going on. It's quite possible that they may have had some sweat pouring down their face. Listen, I mean, that, that's just, I think that's just human nature, but it didn't stop them. It didn't stop Peter and John from being courageous. I love John Wayne's definition of courage. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyways. I mentioned John Wayne to one of my son's friends a few days ago, and they looked at me and said, who's John Wayne? I said, son, you've missed out on a lot of life. <laughs> now look, check out what happens next. Because these early followers of Jesus are about to show us how to uproot the fear of failure. The same religious leaders that made accusations and threats against Jesus, which ultimately led to his death, 
They're the same ones that are now throwing down threats on Peter and John and the early Christians. And instead, listen, instead of these guys running away from God in fear, they do something else. Look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed? How can we uproot the fear of failure? Here's the first thing you have to do. You have to get your focus on the power of God instead of focusing on the power of men or the power of your situation. Now we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The only way to overcome fear is to trade one fear for another kind of fear. And in this place, you have to trade your fear of failure, your fear of man for the fear of God. When Peter and John were released, they went to their friends and they told them what had happened. They told them how he had, they had been arrested by the chief priests and the elders, the same guys that had Jesus crucified. And I love how they all responded. They went right to prayer. It wasn't their last option. It was their go-to option. It was their go-to response. And I love the pattern in how they prayed through this whole issue. They didn't start their prayer focusing on the issue. They didn't begin to whine about what was going on. They, I mean, they basically focused their problem on the power of God. They got their all lined up. They traded their fear of failure and their fear of man for the fear of the Lord. They didn't run away from God because they were in fear. They ran to God. And they got so focused, they got their focus where it needed to be, on the mighty power of God. Peter and John and the early Christians, listen, I mean, they could have fled Jerusalem at this point. They saw what happened to Jesus. They knew how people were being persecuted. They could have run for their lives. But listen, they didn't. They hunkered down. They hunkered down, Georgia fans, and they focused their hearts and their minds on the power of God. They knew if God had called them, then he was going to equip them, he was going to enable them, and he was going to empower them. How do you uproot the fear of failure? How do you uproot the fear of man? You get your focus on the power of God instead of focusing yourself on the power of man or the power of your circumstances. Second thing, you recognize that nothing happens outside of God's control. Their prayer continues, Lord, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I love that phrase, your hand and your plan. In other words, God is in control. He is sovereign. Nothing happens outside of his hand and is planned. Now that's a tough pill for most of us to swallow because sometimes we don't like God's hand and sometimes we don't like God's plan. We don't like the direction that maybe God has allowed our lives to go in at the moment. We don't like the pain. We don't like the hard things. We don't like the unknown. But fortunately, God understands that. He understands us. He knows that we can't see past A to B. Sometimes we can't even see from A to B. That's why he says over and over, 365 times to be exact, do not be afraid, fear not, trust me. 
Yes, but what if I fail? What if I put my trust in God? What if I recognize that he's in control and I fail? What if my life gets worse? What if my world falls apart? What if people turn against me? What if all of a sudden I, I begin to face persecution or, or I get criticized? I love what happened. King, at King David, after he was captured by the Philistines, here's what he wrote about it. Psalm 56, 11, he says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What, what, what can men do to me? What can men do to me? David realized as long as my trust is in God, as long as I, I put my faith in him, I will not be afraid. I mean, what in the world can men actually do to me if God's in my corner? We need to remember this, that sometimes God allows failure for our spiritual growth. Listen, I, told, I started this church with just a handful of people in 1997, but I was, I was part of a failed church plant in 1983. I started a church planning organization in 2010, but I started one that failed a few years before that. I was engaged twice before I met my wife, Amy. God knew that I needed to fail a few times so he could grow me up to be able to meet the right person. That's where we have to get to a place in our lives where we trust God's hand and we trust God's plan and we realize that he is sovereign. He is the one that's in control. The third thing we have to do is we have to invite him into our fearful circumstances. When I'm praying over this, this fear, when, I, when I'm praying very specifically with God about what I'm afraid of, I'm asking God to invade my fears. To Look at how these believers prayed. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats. The religious leaders of Jerusalem, listen, they threw down the hammer on these believers. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus or else. And the believers replied, Lord, look upon their threats. In other words, God, we're inviting you. We're, bring, we're asking you to engage this fearful situation. We're confessing that we need you to engage our fear. The fourth thing they did is they asked God for confidence to overcome their fear. They said, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. These believers, they're praying for confidence. They're, they're praying for boldness to overcome their fear of these men. Now I want to stop for a moment. I want to tell you something. If you, if you haven't recognized this yet, this is a huge moment in the history of Christianity. If Peter and John and these other believers have, had chosen to flee in fear from the intimidation of the priests and the other religious leaders, listen, then the advancement of Christianity stops right here. It stops in its tracks. I think God would, God would have found another way. But listen, these guys were plan A. They were plan A. And some of you in this room right now, you are trapped in fear. What do, I, what do you do? You confess it to the Lord. You call it out to him and you ask God to give you the strength and the grace and the boldness and the confidence to overcome it. Lord, I'm afraid, but I trust in you. What can man do to me? when I have you in my corner. The fifth thing you do is you trust that God is gonna work in your life in a powerful way. These believers, Peter and John, they prayed, they said, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These believers were not reluctant to ask, they were not reluctant to ask God for help. They desperately needed him. If they were going to continue to heal, if they were going to continue to perform miracles, if they were going to continue to proclaim God's word, 
the message of salvation, the gospel, with boldness and power. They were desperate for God's hands on their, hand on their life, so they prayed, Lord, stretch out your hand, extend your hand. In other words, put your hand on us. Some of you may be wondering why God doesn't use you in a powerful way. Maybe it's because you are too reliant on your own smarts, your own strength, and your own abilities. I want to tell you what happens to me when I get to this place. When I am too reliant on me, my flesh fails me and fear takes over. That's what happens. And if God is going to use you, if he's going to use me in a powerful way, you have to be totally dependent upon him. And for those of you who may be frozen in fear this morning, you're paralyzed, listen, take your eyes off the power of your fear and put your eyes on the power of God. Ask him, ask him to put his hands on your life, to extend his hand into your situation. Ask him for a miracle and then believe that he's going to do it. Be totally dependent upon him. You have to be totally dependent upon him. I love this quote by William Carey. It's a, it's a great motto. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And then the fifth thing, the sixth thing, excuse me, that you have to do is you have to step past your fear and darely, uh, dare boldly in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, I love this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken I'd love to be in a prayer meeting like that, wouldn't you? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You talk about a powerful prayer meeting. When they prayed, the place where they were praying started shaking. Then the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What exactly does that mean? To be filled with the Holy Spirit means they were controlled. They were controlled by the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. To be filled means to be fearless. When you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, you cannot be controlled by the fear of man because the two cannot exist together. It just can't happen. And when these believers were filled, they were bold. When they were filled, they were powerful. When they were filled, they were fearless. So how do I know when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Listen, even though I, when I, for me, even though I may feel the emotion of fear, I'm able to move forward in boldness. I'm not controlled by fear. The fear of man doesn't stop me from daring boldly. And again, some of you, you are trapped by the fear of failure, the fear of man. And it is time to come against that in the power of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I try to get up in the morning the best I can six out of seven days a week at around six o'clock. I try to be in my home office at about six o'clock in the morning so I can spend a couple hours with God. Just praying in his word, reading whatever God's calling me to, you know, to do in that morning. And a few weeks ago, when I was studying for the first message in this series, which was about the fear of God, I was dealing at that moment in my prayer time with a fearful situation. And I used this prayer and I had just come, I just ran upon it. I've actually never preached from this passage before in 28 years of ministry. But I ran upon this prayer and I used it as a model to pray against my fears this morning, that morning. And I want to tell you something, it was powerful. And I just walked through it. I got my, I got my focus on the power of God instead of the focus of men and the situation. I recognize that nothing happens out of God's control. 
Everything is in his hand and it's part of his plan. I invited him into my fearful circumstances. I asked God for confidence to overcome my fear. I actually confessed to him that I was fearful. I repented of that. I trusted that he was going to work in a powerful way and I chose to step beyond the fear and, to, and, I, and I just took a step in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, that's what you need to do right now. This is how you need to pray. So I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want to ask those who are going to take communion in just a few moments if you would to just to quietly get in your places. For some of you right now, it is, you, are, you know exactly what you're afraid of. It's the fear of failure. It's the fear of man. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. Whatever it is. Here's what I want to lead you this morning. Put your focus on the power of God instead of the power of your fears. And at this very moment with our heads bowed, here's how I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to let you stand in the power of his presence. Say, Lord, help me to put my awe back on you. Help help me to recognize how, how mighty you are. And just begin to tell him. Put your focus right now on the power of God, on his mighty acts, what he's done in your life, the faithfulness that he's displayed to you over your life. Say, Lord, would you help me right now to trade my fear of men, my fear of failure, with an awe of you, with a fear of you. Help me to get things in perspective right now, Lord. Would you help me? And then take your fear and confess it to him. Say, Lord, I have gotten my eyes off of you. And I confess this fear to you right now. I confess the fear of failure, the fear of man, whatever it may be. Just confess it to him. Repent of it, which is a change of mind. And then say, Lord, look upon this. You know the situation I'm dealing with. I invite you into this right now. Just tell him, say, Lord, I invite you into this fear. I invite, you see what's going on in my life. You see why I'm fearful. You see the problem that I'm dealing with. You know what it is. I want you to know that I'm totally dependent upon you right now. And I invite you into it. And then, I want to challenge you to believe that God is more powerful than your fear. Tell that to the Lord this morning. Lord, you, I know you're more powerful. You are more powerful than my fears. These fears that I'm dealing with right now, they are not from you. And instead, what you've promised for me is a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And then say this, Lord, I pray that you will help your spirit to fill me right now. I'm asking you to... to, control me with the power of your Holy Spirit to the place where I'm able to take a step of faith and to dare boldly in the name of Jesus, to dare boldly to take a step of faith against my fear. That's my prayer to you right now. Father, I pray that we would dare boldly today. I pray, Father, that we would take the fear of failure, the fear of men, the fear of the unknown like we talked about last week and we will lay it down at the feet of Jesus. We will confess it to you. We will get our focus back on the power of of you rather than the power of our fear that will invite you into this. We'll be totally dependent upon you and we will know because you are powerful in our lives, Lord, that you have the strength. All things are possible 
when you're involved and will let you control the situation through the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Some of you here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. You do not have a personal relationship with Him, and I want to invite you into that right now. If you want to pray with me, if you realize at this very moment that you've never asked Jesus Christ by faith to be your Savior, to be your Lord, He offers that to you as a gift of grace today. And if that's what you need, I want you to pray with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, at this very moment, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I confess to you that I'm lost. I do not have a relationship with you at all. But because of your grace, Lord, you're offering me salvation at this very moment, an opportunity for things to be made right between me and you, a relationship with you, an opportunity to be called your son or your daughter. And so this very moment, I put every bit of my faith and trust in Jesus alone and instead of me. And I ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I receive your free gift of salvation into my life at this very moment. Thank you for that.